are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Happy hump day. Happy middle of your work week. Today, I'd like to get into D'Angelo Russell's player profile. We are going to go player by player, as we talked about on Tuesday's show, to look at every player on the Timberwolves roster. We'll look at their season as a whole. Um, in Russell's case, his brief time with the Timberwolves so far, and also an outlook on next year, what to expect from them, what their expected role is on the team, and also whether or not each player will even be on the team next year. I think it's pretty safe to say that D'Angelo Russell will, uh, but we'll cover all that in today's show. First, a quick reminder to please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you prefer to get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on T-Wolves. That's at Locked on T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. All right, so this player profile or player snapshot series, I'm kind of still trying to land on the perfect title for it, but it really is going to be a snapshot of each player. So with with every single player on the Wolves roster that's, that's outgoing, that was on the roster at the conclusion of this season, we're going to look at what they did this year. We're going to give a little bit of context of their career up until this point, um, especially for the guys who didn't start the year with the Timberwolves, um, you know, the guys acquired at the deadline or um, or prior to that. We'll talk through, was this year real improvement for some of these guys? Was it real regression for some guys? Um, what was some of the noise surrounding their performance this year? And try and peel back the onion and see, you know, what, what each guy really did for the Timberwolves this year. Also, what we could expect them to do next year as well as the potential for each player to be traded, to leave in a free agency. The Wolves have basically four guys that are restricted free agents. Um, they're two-way players, and then uh, Malik Beasley, Juancho Hernan Gomez. So that's going to be more relevant for some of those guys. Also the trade prospects of some of the guys on the roster. Um, and just kind of try and, and get a better sense of where the Wolves roster sits now that we're hopefully somewhere near the middle of, of what this offseason should look like, although we don't exactly know when it'll end yet. Um, most of these players are going to get an entire, a full episode to discuss them. There's going to be a couple we might combine or include with some other content. Um, it just kind of depends on, on how this plays out. Um, obviously D'Angelo Russell, there's a lot more to talk about when it comes to D'Lo. So what we'll do is we'll lay out the roadmap for today. Talk about the good. We'll talk about the, uh, the concerning things, I guess the bad, and then also, uh, what an outlook could be for him next year. So we're going to start off with the good parts of D'Angelo Russell's game and what he brought to the Timberwolves in his first 12 games in a Timberwolves uniform. Some quick background on D'Angelo Russell's career coming to the Timberwolves. So obviously he was the second overall pick just behind Carl Anthony Towns, went to the Lakers, had a rocky first couple of years in the NBA in LA. There were lots of well-documented on and off the court issues with D'Angelo Russell. Nothing malicious, but obviously immature. The, uh, I think it was Instagram or Snapchat situation with Nick Young in the locker room, some things like that. And also on the court, he wasn't very good either. He scored in a second season as a 20-year-old. He, he averaged 15.6 points a game, shot 35% on threes, kind of looked like you know, maybe he was figuring some stuff out. Uh, and the Lakers then flipped him to Brooklyn to create um, some space on the roster. And he wasn't very good in his first year in Brooklyn either. He only played in 48 games in 2017-18, also averaged 15.5 points a game, but he saw his three-point percentage dip to 32% and just wasn't very good. He took a major leap in 2018-19. He became an all-star. The Brooklyn Nets made the playoffs. Russell started 81 games for that team, shot almost 37% from three on, on nearly eight attempts per game. His scoring average jumped to 21 points. He averaged seven assists a game. He had the ball in his hands a ton, but also had the opportunity to play alongside Spencer Dinwiddie 
and play a little bit off the ball. Um, and just, you know, it was a better roster than what he had in LA too. The biggest difference, if you look at his his numbers from those years, his his first year in Brooklyn to his second year in Brooklyn, not a lot is different, even in terms of his rate-based numbers. Um, the, the biggest change was his assist rate jumped, and then obviously he made a ton more threes. But it's not like he... You know, rebounded a lot more. He actually rebounded less. He cut his turnover rate a little, but his usage rate actually went up. Um, he basically his assist rate jumped five and a half points um, from the seventeen eighteen season to the eighteen nineteen season. Which, by the way, with the Lakers, his assist rate was was both seasons below twenty seven percent. In Brooklyn, it was thirty five point seven percent, and then forty one point three percent in his All Star year, and that was the biggest difference. Alongside, he didn't necessarily shoot more threes on a permanent basis or on a per shot basis, his three point rate. But instead of making 32.4%, like he did in the 18, in 2018, he made 36.9% in the 18, 19 season. So coming off an all-star season and bringing surprisingly bringing the Brooklyn Nets to the playoffs, which was unexpected, he hit free agency last summer and had several teams interested in him. Of course, Minnesota, Golden State, Phoenix was interested and ended up do it, completing the sign and trade and going to Golden State so that Brooklyn could acquire Kevin Durant. But he got the legit, he got a legit max contract. He's a 22 year old all star who shot 37% on threes, averaged 21 and seven, you know, assist rate over 41%. So he had a legitimately good season in 18 19. He still perhaps was a little bit overrated in terms of some of the advanced metrics because his defense was so miserable. Um, and he also uh, doesn't really get to the free throw line much, at least that season. In fact, his worst free throw rate of his career was the 2018-19 season in Brooklyn when he was the uh, when he was an all-star. Um, and so coming to Golden State, the Warriors wanted to see what he would look like next to Steph Curry and what was already a little bit of a lost season with Kevin Durant gone and Klay Thompson injured. Um, although I'm sure they expected to make the playoffs until Steph Curry got hurt in like game two or three. So Russell barely played with Steph Curry. The Warriors saw 33 games of him before moving on, and and that's one of the things we'll talk about in the red flag section, I guess, is is Golden State's fairly good at, at player valuation, and uh, so there could be a little bit of concern there. Then again, they did trade for Andrew Wiggins, so that calls some things into question, too. So we'll talk a little bit more about that trade and what their motivations may have been behind it. Um, it's been a few months since we've really visited that topic um, and, and explore, I guess, what got D'Angelo Russell to Minnesota Um after after failing to sign in Minnesota last offseason, why did Golden State move on so quickly? What did his season look like in Golden State before coming to Minnesota? Um, will be one of the topics we cover in today's show. So that'll be what we get into here next. Um, now that we've kind of set the table, before we do that, let's talk about my bookie. Say it with me now. Sports are back, baby. I've been waiting for this day since March, and now that it's here, I've only got one thing on my mind. My bookie. My bookie is a home run, slam dunk, triple overtime, game winning shot, all wrapped up into one. I love it, you love it, and that should be all you need to hear in order to start betting today. My bookie has up to the minute odds on all your favorite teams, and with the start of Major League Baseball just less than two weeks ago, there's never been a better time to start playing. With my bookie, it's easy. You bet, you win, they pay. Feeling good about your team's chances this year? Be sure to check out MyBookie's World Series Future Bets. Nothing shows you believe in your squad like betting on them before they're two weeks into the season. But why stop with baseball? Smart bettors are always looking towards the future, and in this case, that means basketball, hockey, and even football. MyBookie is already accepting bets on all your favorite NBA, NHL, and NFL games. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. Join today, and MyBookie will match your deposit 100%. 100%. Plus, they'll toss you a free $10 MLB future wager. All you got to do is enter promo code LOCKEDONNBA. 
when signing up. That's promo code locked on NBA when you sign up at my bookie. Remember, my bookie's terms are simple you bet, you win, they pay. All right, let's get into some of the pros of D'Angelo Russell's game and what the Timberwolves were expecting when they acquired him. Um, again, the 2018-19 season was the best of Russell's career. Of course, this is this last season was only his fifth. But something he's always been good at is operating as a ball handler in the pick and roll. Even coming out of Ohio State, he was seen as this really creative passer, somebody who could see impossible angles and get the ball to people um, at impossible angles and really kind of orchestrate the offense. That's something that has continued. There's a little bit of lull or early in his career, um, but his last year in Brooklyn and then even this past season, in the pick and roll, he's been a, a really solid ball handler. The numbers don't suggest that he's been dominant in that role. For instance, there are... 10 guys, or actually nine guys, who operated in the pick and roll more than 10 times per game this year, as the ball handler, I should specify. Um, those 10 guys, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, Derek Rose, Lou Williams, Spencer Dinwiddie, and D'Angelo Russell. Of those 10, D'Angelo Russell's actually last in terms of points per possession. Um, it's not. It's still not a bad number. Um, in Golden State, for some reason, NBA.com split up this data, uh, and the stats at .nba.com is where I'm getting this from. D'Angelo Russell was .89 points per possession as a pick-and-roll ball handler with the Warriors, which isn't great, um, but it's not awful. And then with the Wolves, it was just .83, which obviously is is a lot worse. Um the point eight nine is actually tied with Dinwiddie, his former teammate in Brooklyn. Um, Dinwiddie had a took a small step back this year in comparison to what he'd done the previous couple of seasons. Um, to be behind the likes of Rose and Lou Williams, um, you know, both still potent scorers as ball handlers, but not in the same way as D'Angelo Russell. That's a little bit disappointing. Um, you dive a little bit deeper into some of these numbers. The free throw rate is still a little bit troubling, although. Uh, D'Angelo Russell gets the free throw line a little bit more as the pick and roll ball handler than in some other situations. Um, his overall efficiency just isn't great. Part of that's because he shoots so many mid-range jumpers, although that number's come down a little bit this year. Um, but you'd want to see that that number somewhere around one and a little bit higher than one, ideally. Um, again, Lillard, Irving, Doncic, the only three players with a, with a point per possession of over one as a pick and roll ball handler at least as of the ball handlers who did it more than 10 times per game this year, which of course narrows it down to basically just point guards. Um, but if, you know, if you lower that number, he's, he's certainly towards the top of the league. If you start including guys who do it less frequently. Um, but that's a number that the wolves are going to need to see increase. Now you look at his numbers in Minnesota as the pick and roll ball handler and his turnover frequency increased significantly in golden state this year. As the pick-and-roll ball handler, he only turned the ball over on 13.8% of his possessions, still higher than you want it to be, still higher than Lillard, higher than Irving, um, but lower than Doncic, lower than Trey Young, in line with Lou Williams. Um, that's kind of where you'd want it. You know, you're okay with it being there. But in Minnesota, it was an astronomical 18.2%, again, over just 12 games, so a small sample size. The other thing to note is Towns wasn't available for all but one of those games, and he wasn't used to playing with any of the rest of the guys um, that were on the roster, there were certainly a couple, more than a couple that I can think of instances where D'Angelo Russell was in the pick and roll with a Nas Reed or a James Johnson. And, and, you know, especially Nas Reed had some issues with fading when he should have rolled or popping when he should have, you know, um, rolled and, and just doing kind of weird things where Russell and Reed and other guys weren't all on the same page. So that's certainly to blame for part of it. Um, but 
All that to say, those are numbers that you'd still want to see improve just a little bit. If you look back at what he did in Brooklyn, it was a little bit better than that. His points per possession, his last year in Brooklyn, 18-19, was .89 as the pick-and-roll ball handler, was still last among among guards who did it more than 10 times per game. Uh, but .89 is obviously uh, in line with what he did in Golden State and certainly better than what he did in Minnesota. So at times, his reputation as a pick-and-roll ball handler gets out ahead of what he's actually done from a production standpoint. That said, he's still solid in that role, and because he's become such an improved three-point shooter, and we'll talk about this in just a second, has been getting to the rim a little bit more frequently of late, He those numbers should continue to go up, and especially playing with Carl Anthony Towns, his options in the pick-and-roll as the ball handler are going to increase substantially when you've got Carl Anthony Towns popping or rolling, and that's obviously what the Timberwolves are banking on. In terms of his free throw rate, that's something that improved this year, impressively so. Um, His all-star year in Brooklyn, his free throw rate was just .135, meaning that for every field goal attempt he took, he only attempted .135 free throws, which is awful, especially for somebody who had the ball in his hand so much, had a usage rate well over 30. This year, combined between Golden State and Minnesota, that went up to .235, which was the highest of his career pretty easily. Um, And of course, he's a good free throw shooter. Um, In Minnesota, that number was actually .261. Now, remember, he didn't have Carl Anthony Towns. His usage rate was a little bit higher, and he was really ball dominant um, and taking a lot of shots. But he's a career 77% free throw shooter. He was 81% this year, which was the highest mark of his career. He's got to get to the free throw line more often, and it was certainly a positive thing to see that happen more this year. And I think that's important to point out. Also, he shot more threes uh, per game in 32 minutes a game this year. He attempted 9.6 threes per game and shot 36.7%. So just a hair below last year. But again, he shot more threes. In fact, almost 51% of his shot attempts were from beyond the arc. That's up from 42% last year in Brooklyn. So 51% of his shots beyond the arc. Um, he was his free throw rate went up. Both of those things are positive. His usage rate actually went down slightly this year. It was actually down in Minnesota from where it was in Golden State. Um, he was also playing with Malik Beasley, and and there were some other factors there of, of guys that were more than willing to to shoot the ball. Um, but the usage rate going down a little bit isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, but the increase in three point shots, the increase in free throw attempts, are both positive. Um, and he's still a good pick and roll ball handler, although that's an area where he can certainly improve, and he will inevitably play alongside Carl Anthony Towns. All right, next up, I want to talk about the negatives in D'Angelo Russell's game, and there are some, certainly, and then also his outlook for next year, um, which will be a, a fairly short conversation, I think, as a lot of it's going to center around um, the return of Carl Anthony Towns, I guess, would, would be the most important thing. So we're going to get into that here next. One last item on the good side of the ledger for D'Angelo Russell that I neglected to mention. We have a new partnership at Locked On with with, uh, the outstanding folks at B-Ball Index. They have some awesome stats that we're just now getting our hands on and I'm just kind of diving into, but I wanted to pass along some of the D'Angelo Russell information. Um, B-Ball Index, their innovative data tools and 500 plus player profiles are available for just $5 a month or $50 a year at bball-index.com. Dot com or hyphen bball hyphen index.com so you can get this data as well um, but they're they have player profiles as mentioned for over 500 players that includes obviously the Timberwolves and D'Angelo Russell's profile is fascinating um, 
a lot of his numbers aren't nearly as good as, say, Carl Anthony Towns. I think it's pretty clear Towns is the better player. But D'Angelo Russell has a, an A grade for his perimeter shot. By comparison, uh, Malik Beasley is also an A. Carl Anthony Towns is an A in terms of Timberwolves players. Um, Josh Kogi is a C minus. Jarrett Culver is a C plus, which is a little bit surprising that he's above Josh Kogi. Um, and so you can go through and, and kind of sort these guys by these stats. And I can give a little bit of background on, on how, like, for instance, perimeter shot was calculated. We can get into that another time. But today I wanted to look at for DeAndre Russell playmaking. His playmaking grade is an A. It's a 96.7%, which, of course, is phenomenal. Um, so let me read off what the playmaking um, definition is. Playmaking is graded using NBA passing data, synergy data, and play-by-play stats passing data from NBA passing data and along with offensive role data calculated using this method developed by Todd Whitehead. An expectation for assists can be calculated using teammate efficiency, potential assists, and passes. This expectation is compared to actual assists, allowing to measure how good a player was at creating assists within their offense. It also includes box creation as a main factor, which was developed by Ben Taylor. That attempts to measure a player's ability to create scoring opportunities for teammates outside of just using assists calculates how good a player is at creating opportunities for teammates with their passing, with their role, and teammates accounted for. So basically, this helps. This will include hockey assists, if you will. So the pass to the pass that equals the score. It will include factor in the quality of teammates, clearly, is what this is getting at. So in Golden State, with injured Clay Thompson, injured Steph Curry, there wasn't a lot to work with. In Minnesota, with no Carl Anthony Towns and basically just Malik Beasley, I guess Hernan Gomez, you know, some other James Johnson's okay offensively. There wasn't a lot for him to work with either. So you look at D'Angelo Russell's number from last year, 96.7% as a playmaker. That's an A. Uh, by comparison, Jarrett Culver, 37.2%. That's a D plus. Jordan McLaughlin is a 78.4% B plus. So you can clearly see D'Angelo Russell knows what he's doing with the ball in his hands. And, and that is the most attractive thing about him and why the Wolves acquired him is, well, the pick and roll ball handling numbers don't blow you away. They can improve. And he's dynamic enough as a scorer himself, has good enough court vision that there's certainly upside. Remember, he's 24 years old and has only played one game with Carl Anthony Towns. So that gives me a less than seamless transition to the negatives, which are also pretty clear if you've watched D'Angelo Russell much or if you watched the Timberwolves post-trade deadline last year. D'Angelo Russell actually had a significantly lower assist rate this year. Now, as I just alluded to, I think a lot of that had to do with his teammates, the lack of shooters he had around them, especially in Golden State, but also in Minnesota. Um, his lower assist rate is at least partially can be attributed to that. Um, to put actual numbers to it, he was a, he had a 41.3% assist rate in Brooklyn as an all-star as a 22-year-old last season. This year, split between Golden State and Minnesota, 35.2%. So back down even below his first year in Brooklyn. Um, still good. I mean, still a good assist rate. Still better than his two years in LA. Um, and But you like to see that stay the same, especially with the usage rate that dropped slightly and a turnover rate that overall was flat, although it was elevated in Minnesota. If you have a flat turnover rate, flat usage rate, your assist rate shouldn't drop by seven points. It just shouldn't. And so that... That is a little bit concerning and certainly frustrating. His rebounding rate actually went up a little bit. He's a decent offensive rebounder. Um, didn't really show that in Minnesota, but for his for his position, because of his size and, again, his court awareness, he's a good rebounder, so that's not necessarily a concern. Obviously, defense is the number one thing. There's no two ways about it. D'Angelo Russell's not a good defender. Um, he is, however, if you look... So another example of, these, of the B-ball index statistics... 
it, I mean, people index recognizes this, right? So obviously his, his grade as a perimeter defender is not good. I'm going to pull up the exact grade. They give him a 49.4%, which is a C interior, which of course he's not going to defend much on the interior. He has an F, um, compare him for instance, though, to Kyrie Irving, they've got a great talent comparison tool where you can compare two guys from anywhere in the league. So obviously both of them had an abbreviated season, especially Kyrie Irving. But if you compare their stats from last year and look at their, you know, uh, perimeter defense, that's actually a place where D'Angelo Russell has a slight edge on Kyrie Irving. Uh, not by much, of course, but um, according to this data, he has been, it was a better perimeter defender during this past season than Kyrie Irving. It, it is close and neither one of them was good, but for instance, passing lane defense, um, they have D'Angelo Russell in the 65th percentile, 65%, which is a, a B minus, so not great. Kyrie Irving's 53 percentile, um, which is a C. Also, D'Angelo Russell is slightly better at th- contesting three-pointers, at getting deflections. Some of those things we've actually seen him do. The biggest issue with Russell's defense, if you if you sit down and watch him, the eye test would tell you he doesn't fight hard enough to get through screens. And when, he, when the scheme doesn't call for him to fight through the screen, he also kind of floats in no man's land when he should be switching also. Now, he gets away with it a little bit because of his length, and that's that speaks to the deflections number where, according to B-Ball Index, again, He's in the 65th percentile. They give him a B minus at deflections per 75 possessions. Um, and and so he's been able to recover because of his size, because of his court awareness, which we've talked about before. But a lot of times on defense, um, th- there's two issues, um, right? It's it's his lack of athleticism and it's his lack of want to on defense. And those are the things, obviously, that the athleticism can't necessarily be fixed. He's got the size. He's got the court awareness and the know-how. It's the want to. And if David Vanterpool, the Wolves' associate head coach and defensive coordinator, if he can get D'Angelo Russell to play defense like he convinced Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum to elevate their games to acceptable levels defensively in Portland when he was there, that's going to be the biggest question mark for the Wolves this year. And, and transitioning into looking at his outlook with the Wolves, obviously he's going to be on the roster. He's not leaving. But what the Wolves need to see is a commitment to trying on defense from D'Angelo Russell also from Carl Anthony Towns, but today it's about D'Angelo Russell. The fact that he can be, you know, close, basically mediocre, close to league average in passing lane defense, steals and deflections per 75 possessions. He's better in basically all those areas than a guy like Kyrie Irving, who of course has his own issues. Um, And I I compare the two because I think D'Angelo Russell's best case is something like a more creative Kyrie Irving. I think he could still be a little bit better than Kyrie, but he's got a long ways to go. Um, that that's why I brought Kyrie into this because their games are are relatively similar in terms of their their high usage and they're wanting to play in the pick and roll their three point shooting, um, and, and all those different things. But D'Angelo Russell has to has to try harder on defense. He's shown that he can be better than a guy like Kyrie defensively, even without trying that hard. If he tries harder, um, and the Wolves are able to somewhat hide him in their scheme and surround him with with longer, more athletic defenders then I think he can be, again, an all-star caliber player and a legitimate all-star caliber player um, year in and year out. And, of course, if the Wolves had a healthy Towns, a healthy Russell, both are all-stars, they're an easy playoff team, and the sky's the limit based on how Gerson Rosas is able to surround them with other talent. But the biggest question marks for Russell this year are, are can he continue to get to the line more often? Can he continue to be an above-average three-point shooter and improve his 
his ball handling in the pick and roll so that his points per possession ticks upwards a little bit. And the biggest question mark is can he build on some of the growth he's made defensively in his career, some of the things that he does close to a league average level? Can he be a better one-on-one defender? Can he fight harder through screens? Can he help his teammates more instead of gambling and just getting lucky, getting his, I shouldn't say getting lucky, but using his awareness and length to, to tip passes? Um, can he truly be a better defender than what he's shown so far? And if he could do those things, He's an all-star. The Wolves are a playoff team. Everybody's happy. Gerson Rosas looks like a genius, I guess. Um, and everybody's happy. So um, those those are the biggest questions for D'Angelo Russell heading into this season. Again, that data I cited related to playmaking and perimeter defense for D'Angelo Russell and comparing it to some of the other players in the Wolves. That's from B-Ball Index. Again, you can get their innovative data tools and 500 plus player profiles for just five bucks a month or $50 over the course of the year over at B-Ball index. Com. All right, that's all we have for you today. Thanks once again for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On T Wolves. That's at Locked On T Wolves. Don't forget the T. Also, if you enjoyed the podcast, please be sure to give us a rating over at iTunes, especially on Apple. It definitely helps us get before more eyes and ears if you help us out with a review there. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Lockdown Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.